Welcome back to Blogs on Tape. Today's post is A Fracture in Old School Philosophy, Barbarian or King, written by DeWiz and originally published in January of 2021 on his blog A Night at the Opera at nightattheopera.blogspot.com. A Fracture in Old School Philosophy, Barbarian or King? Maybe I'm not the first to observe this, but there is a notable dividing line in the old school tradition of play, as far as I can tell. Are you more interested in playing Conan the Barbarian or Conan the Conqueror King? See, on the one hand, the vast majority of people I know who play OSR games, talk about OSR games, make OSR games, etc., all seem far more interested in being the Barbarian. They talk about how modern high-fantasy gaming is too caught up in these drama-centric stories of grand, world-shaking stakes and superheroism and PC-focused plots and blah 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 blah, that their preferred way of play, and the true ways of old, are the sword-and-sorcery tradition of, to put it bluntly, murder-hoboism. To be a little more generous, that D&D should be a picaresque. In a low-fantasy world where morality is gray and lethality is high, the heroes are wandering swords and rascals scraping by on a few copper coins at a time. Every time they come into a significant fortune of treasure, they blow it all on booze and hookers immediately. They never stay in one place for too long, and they generally get by on their cunning. If they do get permanent boons, it's usually in the form of powerful magic weapons and blessings. All characters are rogues, you might say. Conan the Barbarian, Fafherd and the Grey Mouser, Kugel the Clever, and so on are our archetypal examples, but also like the Wandering Ronin, the Man with No Name, Hellboy, Geralt of Rivia, the heroes of Manly Wade Wellman, etc. Gold as XP and carousing rules are the pillars of design elements that support this style of play, because they reward you for stealing treasure above all else, the essence of adventure to these players. They play in sandboxes because they need the freedom to explore. On the other hand, Many of the actual old-timers who played D&D back in the 70s and 80s definitely seem like their idea of the hobby is being the king. They talk about the tragedy of modern high-fantasy gaming missing the rules and procedures for domain-level play, and they trade stories about the complicated political intrigue-slash-shenanigans of Greyhawk and Mistara. A lot of them were war gamers, and the idea that mass combat rules should be included as a core part of the game was simply a given to them. Birthright and Council of Worms were made for these gamers. Character advancement usually wasn't much more complicated than a couple measly bonuses to your raw numbers here and there, but at a high enough level, you'll probably earn a castle, tower, temple, or some other kind of dominion. 
That kind of thing can be a confusing class feature to someone coming from modern gaming. A castle doesn't help you in a boss fight with an archdevil, so what good is it? Well, it makes you more socioeconomically powerful. It opens up new avenues of adventure and gives you much more powerful tools for problem solving. Access to a ship means freedom of travel, and freedom of travel means more freedom to choose your destiny. If you get into politics, eventually you can literally send armies to raid dungeons for you. The kind of high-level boons you're going for would be vehicles, followers, contacts, favors, a stronghold, access to a natural resource, princesses, etc. Even Matt Colville, someone who normally traffics firmly in the new school, is still strongly influenced by his 1980s grognard roots, and wrote a 5th edition supplement for this called Strongholds and Followers. It's pretty good. And is in the middle of a sequel called Kingdoms and Warfare. It looks better. There was a point in time where it was just understood that D&D had late-game content, and it looked like this. There is a designated endgame where you aren't dungeon-crawling anymore, and are instead fighting wars. There is also a mid-game stage where you might command a small warband of followers. You know, like the Merry Men from Robin Hood, or the Brothers Without Banners from Game of Thrones, or the pirate crew commanded by Conan, in between his days as a barbarian and a conqueror. Huh. See, I think the barbarian players massively control the narrative, but the king players have a solid claim to make here. It's not actually as though the sword and sorcery genre didn't have plenty of content clearly in the vein of king adventurer rather than barbarian adventurer. The second most important sword and sorcery hero is Elric of Melnibone, who, from his very first adventure, is a literal king of a kingdom. I'd throw Prince Valiant in as well. And you know, you could argue that gold as XP is built for this style of play equally well, if not better. After all, the reward for reaching higher levels is pretty much always stuff that costs tons of money. Is it so outrageous to suggest that the idea going on here is XP is an abstraction of the process of the adventurer gaining enough gold to buy a castle. Even if you let the players spend their treasure as they please, the higher level they get, the more and more they'll be drawn to luxuries like strongholds, airships, war elephants, and so on, as their primary money sink. They'll play in sandboxes because they're indulging in campaign-level play. When you ask for decent king gameplay rules these days, you usually get pointed towards either Beckme's rules, which I'm not a fan of, or Adventurer Conqueror King by Alexander Macris, who I'm really not a fan of. Many minimalist OSR games are content to offer little to no advancement guidelines, and while they don't forbid domain gameplay, they don't exactly facilitate it well. When everything on the equipment list is 
stuff a knave would use when dungeoneering, then I feel comfortable saying your game is basically just about dungeon crawling, and not much more. Now and then, you get a little bit from games like Into the Odd or Mouse Ritter, but arguably not enough to sustain a long-term campaign focused on this kind of gameplay. So, are you more of a barbarian or a king? And if you're a barbarian, have you ever actually tried playing like a king? I want to accommodate both playstyles and preferences equally well, but one of them is certainly trickier than the other. That was A Fracture in Old School Philosophy, Barbarian or King, written by DeWiz and read for you by Nick L.S. Whalen. Blogs on Tape is a project that works with authors to make great RPG blogs more accessible through audio recordings. It's a community effort which you can contribute to with a donation to help defray our hosting costs. You can do so at ko-fi.com slash blogs on tape. And whether or not you're able to contribute in this way, thank you very much for listening.